Welcome to the uh, next edition of Adam Ars. I'm very pleased to be sitting here with Chris Highland in London. How are you doing, Chris? Very good, thank you, mate. Good, thank you so much for giving up your time. Pleasure. I know you're a busy, busy man. <laughs> so, um, Chris, I just want to cast our mind back. I think it was, was it four years ago when we first met? I believe so. Met? I think we locked horns on the Beamer ski trip, didn't we? Still remember it like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> we cuddled up very close yeah. in our bed, didn't we? So four years, four years. You've had so much happen yeah. in the last four years. Mm. First on a personal level, you've had two children, Henry and yeah. Claudia. Yeah. Amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And you've also sold your first business, Four Keys. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. So um, give us a quick overview of, of how life has changed or what's happened then in the last four years. Um, so I guess I started um, a business called Four Peas Marketing, a search business, SEO PPC, back in 2008. Wow, that sounds a long time ago now, 2020. Yeah. Uh, and our vision was to grow it and become one of the, you know, the leading companies, agencies in the country. Had a great growth journey. Um, our target was always quite simple, actually. We always wanted to get to a point where we would be attractive to a buyer. So yeah. a lot of people start agencies um, for lifestyle. They do, they love it. You know, I was a marketing graduate, um, but we did it because we wanted to grow an agency to ultimately sell. Yeah. So yeah, 2016 came along and we sold to a French PLC called NetBooster. Um, I mean, crazy, crazy experience. Like we met them a year before we sold. So it was like dating for six months. Yeah. You know, we go out for dinner with each other. You know, then you have your first argument. You see how that goes. And it was six months of due diligence, which was quite intense. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun, you know, the questions I ask you around finance details you've never been asked before. Um, and then did the deal and went, it went really well. And then we had a two year earnout. So our job, so we were 75 people and they call it a, a reverse merger. So we had to take over 150 people in the UK um, and join the board of 700 people globally. Yeah. So it was a massive culture shock. I bet. Going from running your own little business where, you know, you're in charge first and foremost. <laughs> you are the boss. Yeah. Um, to being in charge of a corporate company where there's 20 offices worldwide. Everything's different. You know, we we thought everything would be faster, quicker, better. And actually most of the time it was the opposite. It was slower, it was more process driven, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But that was great. Two years I learned so much so much about culture. We left, we then finished our earnout and left in the summer of 2018. And I'm now at my current business, the Happiness Index. And we actually founded that within the agency five years ago. And it was really simple. Um, we were getting a, a bit too big. So my role was customer side and it was, we had 30 plus customers and I was finding it too hard to get out and see these people, yeah. give them love. And we just needed a bit of a mechanism to um, understand how they feel. And guess what? I actually wanted to understand if they felt happy with us. You know, when you see your friends or your family, your wife or your husband on a weekend, you don't say to them, do you feel engaged at work? Yeah. You know, you say, are you happy? And you always get a truthful response. So it kind of spawned from there. And our business growth kind of took off off the back of it to the point where we thought, well, let's spin it out. So we convinced another one of our friends from, um, Tony to jump ship and start a business. So it's actually been going five years now, but we've been here full time for 18 months. Amazing. So it's been a crazy, crazy four years. A crazy few years. So how, how did how did it feel then just to go back on the acquisition of four? Yeah. How did it feel when you actually did the deal? 
Uh, can, can you remember that feeling? Oh, you, you and Matt, yeah. business partner, sitting there. What, what, what did you do? So, do you know what? It's a great question because it, num- number one, it felt amazing. Like you know, there's loads of people, loads of different things drive different people. One of them for me was financial stability. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to be able to give my family a roof over their head for the rest of their lives. You know, and I'm, yeah, I've changed now, but sometimes you can't stop thinking about doomsday. What if everything goes wrong? What yeah. can you do? So I wanted to give some stability. So when the when we knew the acquisition was happening, obviously you feel incredibly proud. So we signed the deal in the morning with the lawyers, and we celebrated by. Oh no! <laughs> oh, then we might need to edit this bit. Fire alarm. Yeah. Is this a Friday morning fire alarm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll right. just stand it. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, you got it. Oh, you're joking. Okay, we're on again. Post fire alarm. Good news is we're both still standing. Not, we're okay. Not been burned. We're okay. So, yeah, Chris, how did it feel once you'd signed the yeah. signed the deal? The emotions were huge, huge. Like number one, you feel immensely proud. You yeah. know, like there's a photo I have at home of us signing the deal. You know, the room is five times the size of this with the amount of paper you sign legally, it's crazy. So the first, you know, we felt amazing and Matt and I celebrated in the only way we knew how. We went to Five Guys <laughs> and got a burger and chips. <laughs> and a beer. Uh, no, we didn't because this is the funny thing. So we signed the agreement in the morning about 11 a.m., done. Um, Signed, sealed, delivered, but we had to then announce it to the staff. We had to wait until the markets closed yeah. uh, in the, on the French market, so it was five p.m. here. So with this really weird time where a six-hour delay, a six-hour delay, and you know we kind of you, you're in this weird moment where you're floating around. So I think the thing people never tell you is that you feel elated for yourself. I always had this dream like, oh yeah, one day you grow a business, you sell it, the next day you're on a beach. The exact opposite happens. Yeah. You know, so the first thing we had to do was announce it to the staff. So Matt went to the Westminster office where their staff were based, because obviously they've just acquired a company, they wanna know who they've acquired. And I had to go to our office in Islington and tell them that, um, you know, we've just been acquired. And the thing no one ever tells you is it's, you know, the founders are really happy, but everybody else in there then the moment you say something, it creates uncertainty yeah. and it creates change. Did and any of them have a clue, do you think, by the leadership team? No, none. Um, it was just shock. How did you keep that off the off the rest? Well, the, the leadership radar. team knew. Um, you know, I'd say about six to seven people knew because we, you know, we also incentivised the leadership team to be part of that deal. But I, I don't know, you just... It's too big a deal where you can't let it slip because you think if someone finds out and it goes, especially because they're a PLC, the yeah. deal could fall through. And the amount of work you put into it, you're kind of driving through fear. But so, you know, I announced it. So everybody knew something was going on because our CEO at the time was this German guy um, called Tom. Literally imagine Arnie from the Terminator <laughs> and that is him, a nice version. Yeah. So he walks in and all these men in suits walk in and everyone's looking around and going, what's going on? And we've put in the diary a 5 p.m. announcement. So, you know, most of our guys are early to mid 20s. They don't know what it's all around. And then you get up and, and you just tell everyone, guys, we've got some news. Um, we've been acquired. And the first thing I want to hear is, are we staying? So, yes, we're staying. Yeah. And then you kind of open, the, open to questions, but it was just stunned silence. And actually, the best thing which broke the ice was one guy put his hand up 
And he said, does that mean we can still call ourselves a startup? <laughs> Brilliant. And it was the most unexpected question ever. Um, and it was great because it just it made everyone relax. And of course, yeah. from there, the whirlwind begins. And the next morning, you know, six o'clock in the morning, I was on a, on a, on a plane to Dusseldorf where the HQ was. And it's, you have these visions of doing the deal and then enjoying it. And in fact, I probably didn't enjoy it for six months after yeah. because it, I probably worked harder than ever before. I guess the adrenaline must have been just pumping. Massively, massively. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now I can look back at it and tell stories of, from, a, from a sunny disposition. Yeah. But at the time, it was remarkably stressful. Oh, yeah. Right. But worth it. And you've had some time off and you've enjoyed yourself yeah. and spent some, some quality time with your family, which is great. And now you're right back in the hot seat, aren't you? Yeah. So I'm, but I'm loving it. Yeah. You know, I think you learn a lot about yourself going through these kind of deals because I took for granted being my own boss for eight and a half years. And, you know, no one drives us as hard as we drive ourselves. But then suddenly when you start to be questioned by people for stuff, it just doesn't feel very nice. And you kind of realize that you're actually unemployable. Yeah. So to kind of get out with our head held high and the business was still in a great place and we achieved our earn out was great, but that time off was crucial just to unwind. From So for a month after, and it was my business and I'd sold it, for a month after, I was still checking my emails. They disconnected me from my email and the email <laughs> icon, but I was still pressing the button yeah. because I was just so conditioned. That, yeah, habit or wanting to, to still yeah. be involved and know what's going on. So I had this euphoria and it was 2018, so the Indian summer here, it was incredible. I was in the garden every day, you know, kicking, kicking balls about with my son. But then you get past that and you get this weird stage where you start thinking, what next? Yeah. And it's really, really bizarre. And it's a real uncomfortable feeling thinking, oh, I've, I've achieved all this and I feel really proud of myself. But now it's like, well, what the hell do I do now? So, you know, I took four months off, which was amazing. But by the end of it, the last six weeks, I was desperate to get back into something. Yeah, I bet. You know, I couldn't just keep doing the school pickups. I had to do something more. Yeah, there's only so, so many times you can mow the lawn, go yeah, to the gym, yeah. wash your cars and all that kind of stuff. And to be stuff, fair, it wasn't the gym, it was more probably having a few beers in the evening. <laughs> fair play. At least you're honest. Yeah. But, but behind the scenes, you had launched the Happiness Index. So yeah. It's not as if you were, I guess, scratching your game, what the mm -hmm. hell do I do next in my life? So I'm really intrigued to focus now on the, the podcast yeah. about the Happiness Index. How, how did it come about and when, when did your passion about talking about a business that have a positive impact on both the world and the community. Um, how did it all come about? So I guess the challenge of, of running an agency, this is my opinion, but I kind of believe that you are there to serve the customer. Yeah. So one of our customers was Selfridges. You know, our job is to understand what their needs are and then to apply what we know to help them. So the challenge of that is we wanted to have a good culture but there's only so much you can do in the business because it's not, you know, our business is built on helping other businesses. The happiness index, I am incredibly passionate about working with people. And I see that I get a massive kick out of seeing people thrive, seeing people flourish. Yet all these big corporate monsters, they're trying to change now. You can, yeah. there's, there's definitely a shift going on. But many of them are treated, I would say, almost in an inhumane way. They're not treated like human beings. They're not given any flexibility. So for us, I saw firsthand in my business, when you treat people with trust and respect and you empower them, you can achieve amazing things. So we wanted to create something where we could help other businesses do that. 
And that's where the passion comes through for me because I see the rewards. Yeah. And it, it gives me a huge kick. Fantastic. And I think you, you've definitely you're definitely ahead of the curve with with this. I mean, it is totally in vogue mm. now, isn't it? That that whole the whole element of culture, culture eating strategy for breakfast. Yeah. I hate that phrase. <laughs> um, but yeah, flexible working, yeah. mental health and well-being. It's it, it's brilliant. Brilliant to see. And I love the fact that you guys as a business are so vocal about sharing all this good stuff. Mm. You, know, you you often write white papers, mm-hmm. articles, share videos. Question that I've, I've been wanting to know is, who do you think is responsible for this always-on culture that we've found ourselves stuck in nowadays? It's a good question. I think that's probably a great example of how technology can be an enabler, but also can cause damage. Yeah. So I think maybe, maybe it doesn't surprise people because ultimately the happiness index is a technology business. You know, we gather feedback and we, it's all focused around how can we improve the happiness and engagement of a business. But we are tech, yet I am actually very strict with myself around tech. Yeah. I'm sure any kind of business leaders have done it or anyone in, in great senior jobs out there, you check an email on a Sunday night and you see an email of some kind which upsets you. And for me, it would ruin my whole night. Yeah. So I've become remarkably disciplined around- Share the wealth, because I'm not. I'm always checking my emails and it bugs me that I do. So what do you do, what, what are your disciplines? So, so I guess the first thing is, is understanding and believing that you have to switch off as a human being. You bring your best self to work, you, you will thrive, you will be all the above. If you keep going nonstop day and night, you, you will, you'll lead to burnout. Yeah. If you keep going, and the thing is, what people don't realize is they will feel fine. And most, you know, it's the old saying, people get to Christmas and then usually a few days and you get ill because things catch up with you. Yeah. So it's not our belief, we've studied it. We've actually seen it. You know, two years ago, we even did our own study in our own company. We found that people were not taking enough sustained time off. They were taking Mondays off or Fridays. And we said, you have to go away and you have to reset because when you come back, you get a fresh perspective. Yeah. So for me, it's really simple things. When I get home, I turn my phone off. So do you every night? Every single night. And do you not check anything? No, no social and nothing? Sometimes I turn it back on to check the Liverpool score yeah. or some sport. We don't need to check that now, <laughs> is it? You know, you know you're going to win, annoyingly. <laughs> but says, says United, it right? is a really hard discipline because, yeah. but I, I would encourage anybody to do it because, oh my God, you realise how reliant you are on your phone from alarm clocks to checking the weather for tomorrow to see what you're going to wear to seeing what's on TV tonight. It's remarkable, but you find yourself... You know, there's been all this evidence out there which shows when you are glued to a screen, not just your phone, any screen, yeah. that your creativity just disappears. Yeah. You know, so for me, every single weekend we do it, but also now with our, you know, now I've got children, so we try to limit their time. I don't want them to be one of these kids like Madonna's kids, you know, that gets 18 and they don't know what a TV looks like. But it's about balance. Yeah. It's about balance. I think the detrimental impact it has on relationships as well. Huge. Often I get home at the end of the day, my fiance and I don't talk to each other yeah. for ages because yeah. she's in a job where she can't check yeah. any of her own personal stuff. And so she's glued into that and I'm glued into looking at my yeah. stuff. So I, I, you know, we're, we're trying to be yeah. uber disciplined with that as yeah. well, but it's hard. I think we're all addicts. We're all addicts to consuming what our, our iPhones. Absolutely. Do you know what, even the Matt, my business partner says something great because you know we put a lot out there. The thing what we believe in is total transparency. Yeah. Like we've got nothing to hide. And I think that everyone's felt that in the business, but also externally, we will share everything. But as, an, as a human being, you can't help but get a kick out of all those likes 
or all those views, or it's up to a thousand views, up to ten thousand, and you're thinking, oh, this feels, you can't help it. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't actually matter about that. You know, for us, the reason we do it, because we want people, we want to share what we're doing, we want to inspire other companies that you can, number one, achieve growth by doing things the right way. Yeah. Where most businesses, they're run through finance people, where if it doesn't make sense on the bottom line, yeah. it's not gonna work. And we're trying to we're trying to turn it upside down. And how do you how do you think or how do you actively create a culture that prioritizes well-being? And how can you how can other businesses learn from what you guys at the Happiness Index are doing? Do you know what it's really simple how we do it, which is we created an app called Always On. We call it Employee Voice, and we trialed it on ourselves for a year. And it's really simple. We believe that you as an employee should be able to give feedback anywhere, anytime. So anywhere, you could be on your way home, you could do it through WhatsApp, you could be in a different country, and anytime. And that feedback could be positive. Could be I just had a great customer meeting, or I had a great meeting with a HR manager today, or it could be negative, it could be used as a venting tool. But the thing for us is, we don't want to presume what is right for our people. Yeah. Because we're a, you know, we have a custom team who are all focused on relationships. We have a, an engine team, the developers, you know, very specific type of people, you know, our proper geeks. And we have our growth team. The, the personality mix we have is huge. Yeah. So if you take a blanket approach to people, you're not gonna get great results. So we try our absolute best to take all feedback on board, understand what is best for you from a wellbeing perspective. You know, how do you feel about uh, wellbeing? What's good for you? And I mean, we take all that feedback and we try and focus on what's going to make the biggest impact for this business. Mm. So, quick example, a few months ago, somebody commented in our Always On app that they felt WhatsApp was invasive. Yeah. So, on the weekends, um, our tech team, you know, you love them to pieces. They work crazy hours. Um, they probably get up late and they work at 9, 10 in the evening. Yeah, yeah. But on a Saturday and, and evening... And the rest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On a Saturday evening when I'm sitting down to relax to watch, uh, you know, come X Factor or something, <laughs> and you're getting constant alerts of people saying, this is the new development we've done. Now, I haven't got a problem with that because it's my business and I'm interested. But if you're a, you know, a cat manager or a junior, you don't, you want to disconnect from work. Mm. So we made a decision to shut down all our business WhatsApp groups and move it to an internal tool. So you could actually shut it down on the weekend. Yeah. Because again, we actively promote, when you go home on the weekend, don't think about work, enjoy your life. Because if you enjoy your life outside of work, guess what, you're more likely to come in yeah. a bit happier in work. Yeah. I mean, exactly. it's, it's, it's even funny me saying it, because it's not rocket science. You know, and I think that sometimes as a business owner, I got conditioned into, you must do things this way. But when you, you start to try these things out, like even things like flexi time. And when we first started our first business, we did nine to half five. And people will get in at five past nine and I'll go mad. Yeah, chain to your desk all day, nine to five. And yeah. I would literally, I remember the time, getting people in, in the room and giving them a proper telling off. And it was only when this one girl in particular, who one of our superstars, our HR manager's like, we need to give her an official warning. And it just felt so wrong. Yeah. We're gonna give her one of our superstars an official warning because she gets in late. Yeah. So again, I think that's a good example of how we try to adapt to our people rather than saying to our people, you fit into the system. Yeah, you know? that's great. Isn't it funny when you look back and you think, God, how ridiculous we were yeah. as, 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 as bosses thinking the fact that they got there. But yeah, I was the same. Yeah. You know, I'd yeah. be in early exactly. cracking on and yeah. people were getting one, two, three minutes past nine, I'd be in my head going, <laughs> 
It was so They're ridiculous. disrespecting you. Yeah, exactly. So you just talked about the um, the um, the business being adaptable to individuals rather than the other way around, which is a great way of being really counterintuitive with it. What advice would you um, offer to those trying to implement a similar attitude in their business? Well, you know, we work with we work with um, close to hundred companies, and I would say that every single company is on their own journey with regards to culture. So some companies um, have a great culture already. People feel like they're really appreciated and they want more. Yeah. Likewise, we have other businesses where they're at the start of it. You know, their glass door ratings are terrible. Um, people are leaving. Um, you know, where where do they start? So I think for us, it's trying to. Un- you need to understand where you're on the journey first and foremost. And I think the leadership team have to buy into anything you do. Now, I would say the biggest blocker we've seen with our with our customers in trying to you know, implement a thrive culture yeah. is middle management. So if a, if a CEO is standing on stage and saying, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, but if people don't really believe in it, if it's not filtered through the business, it won't work. So I would say for any of it to work, it has to be bought in from top level. And we learned that the first few years because some of the customers that we stopped working with or canceled the contract with us was because they bought us as a tool you know, as a quick survey tool. Mm. Let's just go and survey our people and get feedback. But there wasn't a commitment from them into actually want to build our culture long term. So my number one feedback is getting the leadership team to buy into it. It has to be bought in. And of course, why I love this business is we don't believe in opinions. So this sounds a bit crazy. Yeah. We present your employee feedback back to you. So if you've got a thousand employees, we gather your data when we're playing that feedback back to you, so if we say to you, you've got a problem with well-being, or we say there's a huge issue around diversity and inclusion, well, not, it's not our opinion. Yeah. This is the data saying it. So they can't hide from it. And have, have you got any examples of there being backlash from businesses like that, who, who, when you've given the data and the evidence of what's not quite going on? Yeah, uh, yes and no. I think when we first started out as a business, we weren't clear around who we wanted to be. So I would say that we probably went down a bit more of a consultative route, but the challenge of being a consultant is everything's very subjective and it's not our expertise. You know, our expertise is really around technology, gathering feedback and then turning that into insight. So thankfully we're kind of um, okay with that, but strange things happen sometimes, which sometimes customers will thank us for their great results. Which is quite bizarre because all we're really doing is gathering their feedback and obviously we're, we're offering them advice to okay you need to focus on x y and z but we're using their data yeah so it's a funny it's crazy it's yeah. a funny period where they say oh thank you so much for the results we're like, we haven't done the results you're doing the results we're just playing that back to you at the happiness index you're you're seeking to work with organizations who are really trying to achieve a thriving culture mm-hmm. do you actually go about trying to identify these clients and what is the big difference between those clients and I guess just regular employers. So I think there's a huge shift, even the word happiness. You know, five years ago when we founded a company, happiness was still seen as a very fluffy metric. It still it still is. Yeah. It wasn't around happiness. It was all around these core, hardcore metrics around where's the ROI. So I think, you know, we're working with lots of businesses now where they're, they're trying to change. They're trying to adapt to it. 
And I think the key thing, you know, probably sounds like I'm repeating myself here, is if you want to attract and retain the best people, you need to put how they feel at the heart of your business. Yeah. That is the key. If I think back to how business used to be run, it was all done from a finance perspective. You know, how are we, are we gonna hit our profit this year? You know, these big businesses, they will cut people first just to hit their numbers, where we're trying to turn it around completely, which is, and you're seeing it more and more, the rise of companies like Glassdoor, I think Glassdoor's amazing. You know, if you speak to a HR director or a CPO, chief people officer, Sometimes there's a bit I've of... I've heard that before. CPO. CPO. Yeah. I've not heard that. This is the Great. new, this is the new jazzy it. one. I love it. <laughs> I might, I might uh, rename myself the CPO. Yeah. I actually love that. But there's a lot of, um, I think, ill feeling towards Glassdoor, understandably, yeah. because ultimately, guess what? You get more um, unhappy employees on there than you get happy employees. But I know for a fact, millennials, they now go onto Glassdoor when looking for their next job. Because for them, it's not just about a career now. They mm. want to go and work for someone which has purpose. Mm. It's trying to do either something for the environment, trying to give back to community, all these things. And if they go to Glassdoor and they see that, oh, they don't care about it, they won't join. Yeah. So I, it's got to a point now where it's not a nice to have. Caring about your people is not a nice to have. It's actually a necessity. It's the number one priority. If you want to retain your people and attract the best talent, you need to do it. If, yeah. if you're not bothered by that, and you want the average run-of-the-mill people, that's fine, you shouldn't put, and I'm not talking just happiness here, I'm talking about listening to your people. Yeah. Because everyone's different. You know, someone might not be focused on happiness, someone might be focused on just personal development. Or can I have more flexibility? You know, I would say a third of our staff work four days a week because they have families and kids. Yeah. You know? is, that, is that an active thing, that you, you do have a four-day week policy? Because that's that's, in vogue again at the moment yeah. that lots of businesses are, are, are going against the grain doing a four day. What's your view on that? So really interesting. So you're absolutely right. It was a hot topic and we looked into it and we found it wasn't right for us. Why wasn't it right for us? Because it was a blanket approach. So few people there were like, I would love to do that. But many of our, I would say two thirds of our employees were like, well, I actually enjoy working. I actually like being here. And if I had a Friday off, or Monday off, I do nothing other than watching Netflix at home. <laughs> so again, what we've done is we've given the option. So you can work four days. You know, our head of people is coming on three and a half days a week. Yeah. So we're just trying to say whatever suits you can suit us. And obviously the, the benefit you get from that is in those three days or four days they're working here, you get huge returns from them because I think that they feel they are even more appreciated and they are, they are mm. afforded that flexibility. Mm. And I think all these great things that, that you're doing clearly and that uh, we as a business are trying to do is really let people feel like they own their own destiny at the business. And, and hopefully with that, it drives yeah. loyalty and stickability within the business. And as you say, it's all about attracting the best people, but then holding on to the right people yeah. because they love being part of what you're doing. And I think that it's very easy to make excuses. You know, oh yeah, but the you know, 25 year old, they tend to stay around for 18 months and move on. That's an easy excuse. But don't forget also, when you have a business called the happiness index, there's also a certain amount of pressure that comes around with your employees being happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you imagine if, we, if our employees weren't happy, it wouldn't be a very good message. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank, thank God they are. Yeah. In fact, what are they? I'll go and check your glass door later yeah. to see, see, what, see what it's At like. At the moment, it's fine, so you can. Good. Um, so another question I've got, as a tech entrepreneur, 
and on the basis that it is a hugely competitive industry, mm -hmm. as you well know. How do you feel that your stance on well-being, or as you call it, which I love this, this slogan on Mancha, the freedom to be human, mm. um, will help give businesses a competitive advantage in such, such a fast-paced industry? So I think in our world, our specific world, the difference between us and our competitors, our competitors are tech businesses. So they are tech pure to the core, but even though we're a tech business, we are still humans. And everything we believe in is having that human element. So guess what? Our staff are humans. Yeah. Our customers are humans. People buy from people. So the freedom to be human thing to us really means you're allowed to be yourself at work. And I think it resonates with many people because freedom's obviously a key word, yeah. but the amount of people that talk to us around, actually, I feel like I can be myself. And in my last experience with my agency, when we sold, the biggest thing I found really difficult with was I was then chucked into a corporate world where I felt like I had to wear a mask every day. And I had to come in and be that happy leader. Yeah. Perform that role. Perform yeah. that role. I was literally acting it out every day. Yeah. And it's only when you look back at hindsight, you realize how you know, things just started to go like I stopped making an effort in the morning. You know, I start, stopped exercising, my weight went up, I stopped doing my hair. Funny little things which I just did, didn't care. But in the office, I was still that happy leader. But deep down, I wasn't. Yeah. And it's more exhausting performing a role oh. than being that true, authentic self, isn't it? And the thing is, I was then obviously brought that home. And that was the worst thing. You know, but, you know very openly, we are in this business for the long term. To grow the money i'm earning from it now is tiny like i'm earning nothing and we've i've had an open conversation with my wife about it you know i could go somewhere and be a ceo of another business and earn a hell of a lot of money but even she says the person that i was in that earn now is not the person that she wants to be around with our family because yeah. i was a horrible person yeah. i come home on the weekend and i was just was not a happy person so you know allowing to be myself and of course Freedom to be human means everyone in the business can be themselves. They haven't got to come in with a mask. Just be yourself. Yeah, I love it. You know, yeah. so it works for us. And I think that the reason people buy from us, interestingly, even though we're a tech business, is because they believe in it too. Yeah. And they want to empower their people and they want them to feel the same. Yeah. Well, it's such a compelling yeah. uh, notion, isn't it? Just be free, be human, yeah. be yourself. Um, no, I love it. really love it. Um, we talk about burnout. Um, mm. work-life balance earlier that's a really I think it's a really important subject to, to go mm -hmm. back onto. I want to know whether you've actually ever experienced burnout mm -hmm. and what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who are maybe starting out or maybe midway through their journey and how, how to prioritize a, a better balance? Yeah firstly on me I definitely almost burnt out with with the sale um, we're selling the agency so what people a lot of people don't know is that we were in Germany um, the first time round in June, and this is three months before the deal happened, and we'd agreed all the deal that night, flew back that evening, you know, told my wife, you know, we were really celebrating, really happy, got back that night, and it was the evening of the referendum right. on the Brexit. Oh, no. And I turned the radio on in the car at 10 p.m. and it actually said, great news, exit polls look like we're in the EU. And I was like, fantastic. Deal was definitely going to go ahead. Went home, went to bed, turned everything off. Woke up in the morning, 
and um, obviously we decided to leave the EU. And just from that moment, it had been stressful anyway, yeah. but my world felt like falling apart and I had to put it back three months. So it was uncertain for two months. And the stress, I think the learning for myself was I put myself under too much pressure. In my head, I was obsessed with, for only for me to, to be deemed as successful, I had to kind of sell a business. Yeah, That was me personally, way too much pressure on myself. And number two was, you know, I was physically in a lot of pain you know, for about two months. And I went to see doctors, all sorts. No one could prescribe what was wrong with me. So of course, you start realizing it's stress. Yeah. And that word stress, you know, I remember years ago when people used to say to me, oh, this person's stressed. I'd be like, oh, what's wrong with them? Yeah, nonsense, yeah, just black, Get black on with it. it. Yeah, be a man, get up. Yeah, man up, come yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I now realize that, and I've now learned that you have to listen to your body. So, you know, again, here at the Happiness Index, I make sure I take at least a week off every quarter, every right. three months. Because I know my capabilities now. I know I can go hard for three months. Yeah. I can keep going after that, but I'll suffer. Yeah. So I have to take that time off. So with regards to advice, I think all you know, high-flying executives, business leaders, entrepreneurs, we love to work and we get a kick out of growing stuff and growing the business. But unless you stop, you will break. And I, I didn't realize how close I was to breaking until I stopped. Mm. And now, you know, I'm, I'm loving uh, growing this business, but I'm not willing to put my body on the line again. You know, because what's it worth in the day? Mm. It's not worth it. I'm enjoying it. I've got great balance, but I'm going to be going on, you know, three or four holidays this year. Good man. And the thing is, you two know. Two week holidays, I hope, not just a week holiday. Do you know, we've booked our first two week holiday this summer for the first time in four years since, since 2016. So, um, and I used to feel guilty about it. As a business owner, oh, what's going to happen in two weeks? But now it's like, I need it yeah. to switch off. Yeah. And I'll come back as a better person for the business. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of, well, I, I advise everyone in our business, every quarter, plan a week, yeah. or at least a week, just yeah. to go and completely disconnect. Yeah, totally. Um, you have yeah, to. You become, you become just unproductive, yeah. because your brain just starts frazzling, doesn't it? And the scary thing is, even you doing that is quite a rare thing. So I hope that, you know, I mean, these things would be the norm in five years. Five, ten years, you would expect this to be the norm. But the appreciation you get from, you know, human beings, your employees, that should go up so much because yeah. it's just, you're encouraging people that, guess what? Life's not about work. It's an important part of it, but it's about balance. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Well, it'd be interesting to see how, how the business evolves and yeah. shapes over the next three, three, four, five years and how all these big, archaic uh, PLCs Try and pivot towards this yeah. way of thinking. Yeah. I'm sure, sure, it's on the top of their agenda, but how well, they're, how they're going to execute it, I'm sure you guys will be able to help. Totally, and I don't want to say all corporate companies are bad because actually it's complete rubbish. Actually, what I found is it's down to the person. Yeah, it's down to the individual. You now you're getting amazing leader. You know, one of our biggest customers is has half a million employees, and the people you work from there are incredible. You know, they've actually proven to me already that actually you can get great people in these corporate companies. But they're just the challenge they have is there's just so much process and red tape. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that you know how these companies progress in a few years because I think there's going to be more smaller businesses because they can be more agile and faster mm. and quicker and adapt to people's needs. But as you say, we'll, we'll see. Let's see. Let's see. Brilliant, Chris. It's been so fascinating, and interesting listening to to everything. Pleasure. And well done with on your success today, and good luck with. Uh, 
for the Future of the Happiness Index. Last quick question yeah. I always like to, to finish with. Any other bits of advice that you might be able to share with other listeners, entrepreneurs, business owners who are on their journey, starting the journey, that, that you look back on any bits of nuggets of advice you were given that you look back on, you think, yeah, that's a real silver bullet that's really helped me yeah. in my business and career? So, yes, the first thing that springs into my mind, which is actually, I've been asked this question a few times recently, and I'm all surprised at how few, mainly startups do it, is have financial targets. Yeah. So, it's the most simple thing in the world, but when you look back at what our targets we've achieved through our business, it's eerily close to what we set out. So we've just been through this at the Happiness Index. We now have four-year targets to get to some milestones. This year, our budget is 1.5, and we're going to hit 1.5. So you start thinking to yourself, wow, this is scary. So my advice to anyone from the couch that are starting the business tomorrow, even though sometimes it feels a bit like the back of a fag, just put a target in yeah. place, because for me, it's all about focus. Yeah. Know what you're aiming for. Exactly. So that's there's loads of things, but I said that's probably my number one. Agree some targets, probably push it a bit further than you think you can do out of your comfort zone, and then just go for it. Thank you so much, Chris. Good luck with everything. Thank you very much. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. For our next episode of Adam Asks, I am sitting down and chatting with the founder of Making You Content, Kelly Gilmore Grassham. Kelly has a very interesting story, and we talk about how she's grown her business how she's really focused on developing staff and what the future of the content world looks like. I hope you can join us then.